one of the takeaways that I have from Harvey is have a backup for your backup. How are you going to continue to get through an event if you know what your failsafe is or what you thought was going to be there to support you is no longer there? And those are some really uncomfortable questions to ask, but I think you have to ask them. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and this week's episode is part one of a three-part series on hurricane preparedness. I am delighted to kick off the series today by speaking with Melissa Huffman, Warning Coordination Meteorologist at the National Weather Service. Melissa, thanks so much for being here. How are you? I'm doing well, Peter. I'm ready for the hurricane season. (laughs) Well, good. If anyone needs to be prepared, it's you. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you on the show. And today we're going to dig into how people can better understand hurricane hazards. But before we begin, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about your role at the National Weather Service to provide some context? Absolutely. So I'm the warning coordination meteorologist for the National Weather Service's office in Corpus Christi. So my area of responsibility within South Texas, just a little bit south of maybe where some of the other listeners in the state may be coming from, but we're primarily focused on seasonal weather readiness. So my job is to lead education and outreach campaigns to get everyone from emergency managers to the broadcast media to the general public ready for whatever a season may bring. Okay, fantastic. Well, Well, the 2021 hurricane season is definitely upon us now, and we've got a lot to talk about. But for starters, what should people expect this year in particular, and how do you think it'll be different from past seasons? One of the biggest questions that people have going into a hurricane season is how busy it will be. There are several groups, including NOAA, that issue seasonal forecasts for hurricane activity. And the NOAA forecast has not yet been released as of this recording, but the Colorado State University forecast has. And it's calling for an above normal season in terms of activity. Now, when I'm talking about normal, I'm referring to 14 named storms, seven hurricanes, and three major hurricanes occurring throughout the course of a season. So what we're looking at right now is an indicator for more than those normal numbers within a season. You know, I'm curious, they have a a sense of where these storms will happen, or is it anyone's guess? It is anyone's guess. So we're looking at several different characteristics within the Atlantic Basin, because that's what this forecast is focusing on. So that includes the Atlantic Ocean, the Caribbean Sea, and the Gulf of Mexico. So we're just looking at indicators like sea surface temperatures, the phase of the El Nino Southern Oscillation to go, this is an environment where this many storms may form but we can't provide any kind of detail on where they'll form or where they'll go once they do form. Okay. Well, what are the main factors that affect the hurricane forecast? In other words, how do you determine if it will be an active or an above normal season like is being forecast at this time around? So the two main factors are how warm your waters are. So 
what your sea surface temperatures are, and then the phase of the El Nino Southern Oscillation. And I know that sounds like a whole bunch of words jumbled into one, <laughs> but really it's just kind of talking about how your, your temperatures are trending in the tropical Pacific because that actually affects how our winds behave in the Atlantic. The El Nino Southern Oscillation is a big climate pattern, so it has global implications. And when we have a La Nina, which is one of the three phases of the El Nino Southern Oscillation, which you'll also hear abbreviated as ENSO. When we have a La Nina, we tend to have less wind shear in the Atlantic. So that's a, a change in your wind speed or your direction as you get above the sea surface. And that means it's a really favorable environment for hurricanes to form. Hurricanes don't like environments with lots of wind shear. Mm. So if we see in our either current El Nino, La Nina observations that a La Nina is there, or within our forecast guidance that one may form, that can give us an indicator of this will be an active season. The good news is though, we're looking at neutral conditions for the ENSO as we head into the peak of season, but we're concerned about those really warm sea surface temperatures. And I think that's what's gonna bump up a lot of the seasonal forecast as we go through the summer. What about the impact of a hurricane? How is that measured or judged? So when you're talking about classifying hurricanes, as a meteorologist, we love to organize and, and kind of put things into boxes to understand what we're, we're dealing with. One of the first ways that we actually classify to begin to understand impacts is by using the Saffir-Simpson hurricane wind scale. And so what this is, is it's a one to five rating that looks at the wind speed and only the wind speed for a hurricane. And from that, it, it provides kind of an initial rating for how much damage could occur based on those wind speeds. So a category one hurricane that's going to have winds that start at 74 miles per hour. But as your wind speeds continue to increase, your category is going to increase as well. And once you get to 115, that's when you have a category three hurricane. That's also the time when you have a major hurricane. So when we talked about the seasonal forecast and having the potential for major hurricanes to form, so a normal season having three major hurricanes, what we're talking about when we say major hurricane is a category three storm or greater. The highest would be a category five. The last landfalling category five hurricane we had in the United States was actually hurricane, I believe it was Michael in the Florida panhandle in 2018. Right. Before that, I believe it was hurricane Andrew in 1992. So you can see there's a lot of time that happens between the category fives. Those are, are fairly rare events. Yeah. In terms of understanding the impacts that's really dependent on where a hurricane makes landfall. So when you're thinking about an impact, you know, kind of bringing it back to some social science roots, an impact is really when a hazard intersects a vulnerable population. And unfortunately, our coastlines are really vulnerable because we have a lot of people moving to the coastline. Right. So the more population you have coming to the coast, the more vulnerable it's going to be. But for example, the first hurricane we had in 2020 was Hurricane Hannah, and Hannah made landfall within a national park. So unpopulated, you know, no one was there. So the human impact overall from Hannah at the landfall location was relatively small. Now, there was storm surge damage farther up the coast in Texas, but in terms of overall impact to, to human life, it was not the same as, you know, if Hannah had you know, made landfall in, in the Houston metro or anywhere else where you have a lot of people. So the impacts with the hurricanes are, are heavily dependent on where it's actually going to make landfall. 
And that's why it's so important for people to keep up with the tracks for these systems, because small shifts in track can affect what you actually see within a region. And how accurate can you be on sensing those shifts? Like, is it, you know, 48 hours in advance that it's going to go from here to there? Or is it like, no, like four hours in advance? It's a lot shorter window. So our modeling with track forecasts have improved exponentially over the past few years. There is still some error associated with it. And you can actually see how much error is associated with the track by looking at the National Hurricane Center's forecast. So the good news is the error with our track forecast has decreased a lot over the last few years. Our forecasting models continue to get better and better, but there is still some error associated with it. And you can actually see that error by looking at what we call the error cone that's available on all of the National Hurricane Center's advisory images that come out. This is what you see if you're watching an update on a hurricane on the local news. And what this does is it provides an idea of how a hurricane may move you know, within a certain period of time. And that cone represents basically the center of the storm could move anywhere within this cone, you know, before landfall or as it approaches an area. So can you have wobbles within storms? Absolutely. I think there's some pretty notable ones when we're talking about that. So Hurricane Rita was a storm that had a jog to the right of track in 2005. So this was a storm that was expected to make landfall in the Houston metro and then nudged a little bit closer towards the Sabine Pass. You also had Tropical Storm Lee in 2011. This one was expected also to track very close to the Houston metro, took a jog to the right, and then moved inland towards Louisiana. There were some very interesting implications from that storm. If you're familiar with the Bastrop wildfire, Hurricane mm -hmm. Lee actually taking that jog to the right did contribute to a flare up within that fire. So there's a lot of hurricanes are very interrelated with other disasters that are going on. But yeah, you can absolutely see those, those small shifts before landfall. But if you notice the storms that I'm referencing are 2011, 2005. So that's still you know more than 10 years ago and our, our weather models continue to improve each year as we go forward. Well, with that in mind, what are some of the most common or really most important hurricane hazards that organizations or individuals should be aware of as they prepare for hurricane season? So hurricanes have a whole host of hazards that they bring. Not only can they bring wind with them, but they also can bring storm surge. So storm surge is the abnormal rise in your tides in advance of a storm. Hurricanes basically act like arms in a bathtub. And if you've ever been in a swimming pool or a bathtub and moved your arm along the surface, you have all this water that piles up along it. And that water has to go somewhere. So as a hurricane moves inland, pushes all that water inland with it. So this is a huge hazard for coastal communities. They can also pose a significant tornado threat. Hurricane Gilbert in 1988 actually caused a really prolific tornado outbreak in the San Antonio metro. You can also have heavy rainfall and flooding. I know a lot of people are probably going to think Harvey when they think of heavy rainfall and flooding. And so hurricanes can obviously produce just insane amounts of rainfall over very small areas. There's also something that I don't think necessarily gets a lot of play with hurricanes is that systems that pass by an area can see increased rip current risk and uh, dangerous waves. And in fact, the, the two fatalities that we had in the middle 
Texas coast this hurricane season were not from landfalling systems. They were actually from systems that passed by and people went out to the beach and were actually overwhelmed by the conditions at the beach from these passing systems. Wow. Yeah, it can be a really dramatic event for a lot of places. When you're thinking about preparing, understanding the hazards that can affect you in your location is key. So if I'm in Austin, I'm not going to be concerned about storm surge, but I do need to be concerned about winds because we have had systems like Hurricane Carla in 1961 that brought hurricane force winds almost all the way into Austin. So you have to think about if you're in Texas, there's a chance for you to see impacts from a landfalling system. Now, the farther inland you go, it's probably going to be more of a heavy rainfall threat. But if you're along the I-35 corridor, I still wouldn't you know, rule out seeing winds from a system, seeing tornadoes, obviously that heavy rainfall, but the closer to the coast you get, that's where you're going to have that increased storm surge, dangerous beach condition, and obviously the the greatest wind threat out of anyone. I know you talked about sustained winds before. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, it has to do with the category rankings. How do you measure, like there's gusts where maybe the sustained wind is 50 miles an hour, but you get a gust that take it up to 150, but it only lasts for a few seconds. Where's that determination made? How long does it have to sustain? So the sustained wind that we use for hurricanes, it's a one minute sustained wind. Ah, so we have okay. to see that over a minute. The gust though, that could just be a, a one second gust. And so the gusts are obviously a much shorter period of time, but that doesn't mean that they're any less damaging. So we're using everything from surface observations. So airports, we use the weather stations that are at airports, but we also have hurricane hunters. So we actually, uh, NOAA and the U.S. Air Force have a joint venture where they actually fly planes into hurricanes and they have weather equipment within those planes to actually measure those wind speeds as well. Who signs up for that duty? <laughs> Do they drop very lucky <laughs> <laughs> You said very lucky people? <laughs> very lucky people, yeah. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah, I guess they need to be lucky. <laughs> if you're an adrenaline junkie, that's the job for you. For sure. Wow, I can't even imagine Ugh, dropping into a hurricane. Now, when they do that, do they like fly into it or do they go above it and then kind of drop into a, a quieter spot? Well, so if they're actually measuring, you know, a hurricane, they want to get a sense of how strong the winds are around the eye of the storm. That's typically where your strongest winds are located. So they will try to fly in and breach that eye wall. And they'll drop, they call them drop sons. And they're basically these, they look like takeout boxes of weather equipment. And so they'll drop those into the storm to get a sense of what's going on with winds, temperature, humidity, and all of that gets plugged back into the weather models. And that's one of the things that makes our weather models so great is we're actually using the direct observations from these storms. That's fascinating. What a job. (laughs) So after a storm has passed, what are some of the cleanup hazards that people run into? And so a lot of times when we're looking at storm cleanup, tree branches come down, people are looking to basically begin to move any kind of debris that's in their yards out of the way. And unfortunately, a lot of times people overexert themselves when that happens. And when you're thinking about the pandemic, a lot of us have adapted these really sedentary lifestyles. And when you try to go and have these really intense bouts of physical activity, you can actually 
put yourself in a situation where you're prone to, to heart attacks or exhaustion from overexertion. And so we really like to caution people that we understand you're, you're trying to clean up and, and you're trying to get back to normal, but you also need to be thoughtful about how you do that and don't push yourself beyond your own limitations to get that done, even beyond the risk that overexertion can pose when you're trying to do that cleanup. We also like to remind people about chainsaw safety. A lot of times people will have chainsaws or they'll borrow it from someone, but they won't recognize that you actually do have to have a little bit of a knowledge about how chainsaws work before you use them. And so that kickback can cause problems. It'll startle people, they'll drop it, then they cut themselves. You know, it can be a really dangerous situation when you move into that cleanup because a lot of times you're stressed, you're tired, you've just survived a hurricane. And again, you're trying to return to normal. And so you're just trying to do whatever you can to make that happen. So we just want people to be aware of, you know, don't push yourself too hard to get the cleanup done. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And if you've never used a chainsaw before, right after a hurricane is not the first time to test that out. So you brought it up before, but it was August of 2017, Hurricane Harvey made landfall in Texas and Louisiana. It was a Category 4 storm, and I know it caused just absolutely catastrophic flooding, more than 100 deaths, and it was like $125 billion in damage. So with that in mind, can you tell our audience about your experience working in the Houston office of the National Weather Service during that event, and what were some of the biggest takeaways or lessons learned? So one of the biggest takeaways is that we knew it was going to be an intense rainfall event, but we're also trying to tell people about these intense rainfall values that most people had never experienced before. I mean, Houston is no stranger to flash flooding, but even by Houston right. standards, the rainfall we saw in Harvey was just, we had just never seen it. So we're basically talking about feet of rainfall and trying to get people to understand what that means. And that was a huge messaging challenge. You know, when you go back and you look at some of the initial rainfall graphics that were out, the National Weather Service actually had to expand its color scale to wow. be able to show the rainfall that was forecast all. So just to give you a sense of, it's very difficult to message an unprecedented event and it's very difficult to understand. It's like trying to explain the color blue to someone who's blind. You know, it's, it's, it's a challenge. How do you get people to understand something they've never experienced before? And so there's a lot of social science work being done now within the National Weather Service to figure out how do we get people ready for the next historic event? So in addition to the catastrophic flooding, oh, by the way, seek higher ground for the flooding, but there's tornadoes. So now you actually have to find a way to shelter from the tornadoes that are occurring at the same time. So people are dealing with just hazard after hazard after hazard, and then you're dealing with messaging fatigue. So how do you keep people engaged when you've been telling them for days, it's flooding, it's difficult to go anywhere, there's a tornado, we still got to keep going through this event. And so making sure that people were keeping up with the forecast was a challenge. Communicating just within the region, 911 services were overwhelmed at yeah. a period of time. And so that's causing people to look at different communication venues to call for help or to coordinate, you know, resource needs. And that, you know, one of the takeaways that I have from Harvey is have a backup for your backup. How are you going to continue to get through an event if, you know, what your fail safe is or what you thought was going to be there to support you is no longer there. And those are some really uncomfortable questions to ask, but I think you have to ask them. You have to be able to think through those questions to be ready for 
unfortunately, whatever the next Harvey type storm is. Excellent. Well, on this show, we typically ask our guests to give the listeners just one piece of advice or a best practice they can use to make a difference in their organization or improve their safety culture. But for this episode, I want to do things a little differently and ask you for multiple pieces of advice or any suggestions you can give our audience for hurricane education or preparedness in general. What do you think? So if your listeners take nothing else away from this podcast, I want them to bookmark hurricanes.gov. That should be a webpage that they are checking every day during hurricane season, because that's going to be the direct line to the National Hurricane Center. So that's going to give you the most updated forecast information. It's also really good to know who your National Weather Service office is in your area, because they'll be responsible for translating what a storm means in your region, because the Hurricane Center is going to be a big big picture view of what's going on. And then your local office is there to help translate what that means for your region. Outside of that, make sure that you understand the hazards. Make sure that you understand hurricanes. And that can be easily done by reaching out to your office, requesting a presentation. You know, as the warning coordination meteorologist, that's one of my jobs is to actually work with organizations to give them talks. They're free of charge. But we really want to make sure that we're customizing it and making sure that your staff, your organization, your senior decision makers, whoever you're working in a storm has that understanding because I don't expect you to be a specialist in hurricanes. You know, you have your own job that you're working on. So so let us help you understand what some of these hazards may be. Once we get into an active hurricane, make sure you're checking the forecast not just once a day but multiple times a day so that you're not caught off guard by any kind of changes within the forecast. And particularly if you're on the fringe of a storm, a lot of times people think that if they're not within the cone of a hurricane, that they're safe. And that's just not true. So we want people to be aware of if you're anywhere near that forecast cone, you're also paying attention to it. Not being in the cone does not mean that you haven't all cleared. Okay. Well, my last question for you is about resources. Specifically, what can our audience use or reference to help them stay informed about hurricanes that may impact their businesses or people? You mentioned, was it hurricanes.gov or hurricane? Hurricanes.gov. Yes. So plural. Hurricanes.gov. What else? Your local national weather service, forecast office, but something else you're going to want to make sure you know that you have is multiple ways to receive warning information. So do you have a NOAA weather radio? Do you have emergency alerts enabled on your phone? So with wireless emergency alerts, those are on by default on your phone, but a lot of times people will turn them off because they'll have a situation where they get a lot of warnings at once and they're like, oh, I don't need it. And then they turn it off and they miss some really important warnings for them in the future. And so this is available under the emergency notification settings under your phone. It may be in slightly different places on an iPhone versus an Android, but make sure that that is turned on during hurricane season, especially if you're looking at any kind of storm. That'll trigger for hurricane warnings, for storm surge warnings. It'll also trigger for flash flood warnings as well as tornado warnings. So even if you're inland dealing with hurricane hazards, it'll still trigger for some of those. Outside of that, know who your local trusted sources are. So we've talked about the National Weather Service office, but maybe you have a favorite TV station. Maybe you have a local meteorologist that you know you can reach out to, or you have a local meteorologist employed by your organization. So know who you can go to to get weather information from, and then be very wary of what you see on social media. It's really easy for someone to fake an image and put it out there and 
either freak a whole bunch of people out or downplay what a threat is. So that's why it's really important to know who your local trusted sources are, either for your organization or your community. Yeah, leave it to the professionals, without a doubt. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate your time, expertise, and advice. If anyone out there listening has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? So I am on LinkedIn and Twitter, but you can always email me at melissa.huffman at noah.gov. And if they want to find your counterpart nearby them, what's you mentioned that before, their local National Weather Service liaison officer, like how do they find that person? So the easiest way will be to go to weather.gov. You'll see a whole big map of the United States and click on your area. That'll take you to your local office as well as provide you with contact information for that office so that you can reach out to my counterpart in that office. Okay, wonderful. All right. Well, for the rest of you out there, thanks for taking time to listen to the Employee Safety Podcast. We hope you'll join us again next week for part two of our three-part hurricane series where we'll speak to disaster mitigation consultant Millie Starlipper. Remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.